0: Let's suppose for just a few minutes that we have proof of life outside of Earth, intelligent life. What would it look like? The first image I had as I sat down to write this is the infamous alien from the movie Alien. Big imposing eyeless creature that lurks in the shadows of spaceships with its creepy face sucking baby monsters, although looking back at the 40 year old movie it's a little easier to make out the man in the rubber xenomorph suit and helmet. So I scrapped that one. Perhaps you think of friendlier aliens like E.T. or Alf. They are perhaps a step above a Muppet in terms of look, but realistic they are not. Some scientists think these visions of humanoid or sentient alien life is unlikely. They want us to think that alien life is microbial, in the form of something more akin to bacteria or algae. But the truth is, we don't really know what aliens look like, if they look like anything at all. We've never seen an alien before, not really. Not in a way we can easily identify what an entire species of them might look like. So our visions of alien life reflect more about humans than about aliens themselves. And how we respond to the idea of alien life reflects how we feel about human life more than how we feel about extraterrestrial beings. I don't know what aliens look like, but I do know about the story that was in front of me. A story about a boy and his family, threatened by the government and concealing a generation's worth of secrets from the world. Now it seemed John's story would resolve one of two ways. Either it all added up to a grand conspiracy only recently uncovered, or it would all come tumbling down. The key was opening up John's safety deposit box and, hopefully, getting that file. I'm not sure what I envisioned the story to look like in the end. I know for certain I had no idea where this story would lead in the beginning, now on the other side of it, I can tell you the end of the story was not at all what I had envisioned it to be. I couldn't have sketched it on paper, even if I tried, and nor could you. Perhaps like alien imagery, this story reflects more about me and my view of humanity than it does about a government cover-up. That's certainly been a critique of this podcast, and I'm okay with that. If you've hung on this long to the journey and have questioned me, this story, or my intentions, that's okay too. In fact, I'm glad you have. But now that we're here, let's finish this journey out together. After all, that's all we can do, right? I can only promise you that the end will look very different than anything you had in mind. This is Crashed in Roswell, survivors in a misunderstood city. This episode is brought to you by the International UFO Museum and Research Center. The UFO Museum has been a staple here in Roswell for well over almost 30 years and they've had millions, I mean millions of people, walk through their doors. With countless exhibits, tens of thousands of books, magazines and periodicals and so much more information on the UFO crash in Roswell and abroad, This is the place you've got to come if you have any interest in UFOs or alien research. But if you're not a hardcore researcher, they've got plenty of things to introduce you to what happened in Roswell and beyond, including exhibits like the 1947 Roswell incident, ancient aliens, UFO close encounters, alien abductions, and so many photo ops of UFOs from around the world. Kids can also download the app Project Bluebeam XR on their phones and play an augmented reality experience featuring the 1947 Roswell incident. You can also check out their gift shop on the way out the doors and get exclusive museum merchandise only available at the UFO Museum. You can plan your trip by going to roswellufomuseum.com. If you're coming through Roswell, make this one of your stops. That's roswellufomuseum.com. On August 4, 2020, Deputy Secretary of Defense David L. Norquist approved the establishment of the UAPTF under the Department of the Navy, under the cognizance of the Office of the Secretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. The mission of the task force is to detect, analyze, and catalog what might potentially pose a threat to U.S. national security. Those words are lifted from a U.S. Department of Defense website. The task force comes as a response to an incredible video released from the Naval Air Command. The video features grainy aerial footage of a strange disc-shaped object flying in unusual patterns at incredible speeds next to fighter jets. At one moment the disc begins to rotate forward onto its side unexplainably. You can even hear one of the pilot's comment that the disc is flying against 120 knot winds. That's 138 miles per hour.
1: That's not a lot though, is it?
0: The two videos released by the Navy confirmed a long-running narrative that for decades was only rumor. Fighter pilots have been experiencing a number of unexplained sightings like this in the sky. When they would say something to a superior-ranking officer, they were more often than not told to shut up. But in an uncharacteristically transparent moment by the U.S. government, the videos were made public alongside a small bundle of documents related to it. Then in August of 2020, the US decided it was time and officially launched the UAPTF, which stands for the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. That's right, we're officially looking for UFOs. As one official put it plainly, let us hope that these sightings are extraterrestrial because if they are from Earth, it means someone has access to technology that is unexplainable and potentially dangerous. The fact that we are more concerned about our fellow humans being up to no good over an alien species ought to tell us something about ourselves, shouldn't it? So I can understand why John would be nervous about divulging any further information regarding what his mother saw. If it was benign and rather meaningless information, he would still be thrust in a world of extraordinary scrutiny and have a government that for decades campaigned to make witnesses to these things look insane. On the other hand, if it was real information she had, it was unlikely the truth would be shared. What's to say a task force, like the UAPTF, wouldn't come along and swoop it up and lock it away, and in doing so, they may still make him look the fool through a smear campaign? They've done it for decades, and John never lived to see the government finally admit what we've been speculating since 1947, that UFOs exist, that they are thus far unexplained, and that there is more to the story than we've been told. So I was determined to chase down the last lead John left us, that file his mother had outlining what she witnessed, potentially locked away in a safety deposit box. But the one person with access to it was nowhere to be found. This episode's also brought to you by Way Way Off-Broadway Theatre Company. Way Way Off Broadway is Southeastern New Mexico's premier theater company featuring live Broadway-style shows right here in Roswell. They are constantly raising the bar of performances, using professional-level lights and effects to bring their shows to life. They've done shows like Les Rob*, Disney's Beauty and the Beast, Singing in the Rain, Grease, and so many other classic Broadway shows. If you're planning a trip to Roswell, Make sure you plan it around Wayway Off-Broadway season and catch a show while you're in town. You can check them out at waywayoffbroadway.com to check out upcoming shows, get your tickets, and support the arts in New Mexico. That's waywayoffbroadway.com. When I first met John's niece, she seemed excited and ready to help with the podcast research. We left off hoping to stay in touch, especially as Denise gained more access to the estate. A week passed, and I sent her a text to see how things were going. No response. Two weeks passed. I called. No answer, no response.
1: I'm sorry, but the person you called has a voice mailbox that has not been set up yet.
0: Goodbye. A month had passed. Nothing. Denise had fallen off my map. If you remember, Denise was the one who reached out to me. She sent me an email as a fan of the podcast, and we subsequently got in touch. But now, she wasn't returning my calls, texts, or even the email I sent to her to see what was going on with the estate. John also ghosted me for a while after we first started talking. Maybe it ran in the family. With each passing day I didn't hear from her, I grew more and more anxious. Perhaps she was just a busy person and couldn't get back to me for four weeks, or perhaps she was tangled up in legal work with the estate and had nothing to report. It would still have been nice to get an update, but it seemed plausible that was the case. But my mind was whirling, sleepless, thinking about all the possibilities and what ifs. So feeling stuck and needing to do something, I took a drive by John's old house just to jog my mind about what we had been through and to see if any other leads came to mind. Alright. I had to get out and see for myself. I brought the recorder along just in case I had something of value to record, but mostly, I think I brought it so I could process out loud what I was thinking and feeling inside. I marched up to the window and looked inside. I remember the first time I did this months ago, and I remember seeing the small collection of patriotic medals and flags on the wall of his living room. Now, looking inside that window, I saw Man, it's, it is gone, wow. Huh. That's it, that is it, that it is all gone empty. Boxes, furniture, all of it is, it is empty and for sale. Just, just like that. That was it. Whatever was in John's possession, whatever research he had gathered, was gone. The only hope I had to find a link to the rest of John's story was tied up in that safety deposit box. But the person who possibly had access to that was gone too. In a moment of frustration there at the house, I called Denise again. This time, I left another message, for whatever that was worth. Hey Denise, this is Kyle Bullock. Um, I was just driving around and I saw that John's house is for sale. So I'd like to link up with you and find out what is going on, especially if you uh, heard anything or know anything, especially about the safety deposit box that we talked about. So please just... Call me when you can as soon as you get this. Thanks. A day passed, then two, then four, still nothing. Then five days after I left that message, I got an incoming call. It was Denise. I stopped everything. Hello? Hey, Denise? I'm really glad you called me back. I've been, uh, I've been really anxious to hear from, from you, see what, what's going on.
1: Oh, everything's fine, thanks.
0: Good, Okay. Uh, hey, I, I saw John's house is uh, on the market, so I was hoping that uh, that meant that you had had some success getting access to the estate or something. Yeah, uh,
1: we got it all cleaned out a couple weeks ago.
0: Oh, uh, you were you were here in Roswell. I wish. I mean, I wished I would have known if you were, if you were here in Roswell. I would have been happy to have helped. What what did you do with uh, all the stuff that we talked about—the boxes and and things?
1: Oh, that all got thrown away. It was, it was in real bad shape. Um, you know, it it got all wet and rats. There were a few things we donated, but most most of it was
0: just not not salvageable. Wow, You you threw it away. They threw it away? I was dumbfounded. There were boxes and boxes of material, and they threw them away. Certainly... It was mostly clippings and news stories that had been seen a thousand times elsewhere. But what if there was something in there? Something new and unique? Something never before seen? Wouldn't you want an expert to go through it and see what was worth keeping? Then I remembered. The leading expert in town had retired. They could have donated it to the UFO museum, and maybe they did donate some things. But the people who look into that sort of thing, they were mostly gone too. Denise carried on
1: look Kyle it's really been a tough few weeks I, I that's why I haven't gotten back to you I it's just been
0: tough well that's okay that's all right I I understand uh, there's a lot there's just a lot going on in the world right now so don't worry
1: yeah you know I I'm sorry I couldn't be more help on your podcast it's lovely and it, it just we just didn't have anything to offer,
0: okay? Listen, listen what about the, the, the safety deposit box? Uh you were you were trying to get access to it and we were gonna see what it was, was inside. Empty. It was what? There,
1: it was empty. There wasn't nothing in it. It was
0: it was empty nothing at all.
1: Not a damn thing.
0: So that file that we talked about John and his mother and you never saw that?
1: The, nope. There was nothing in there, nothing at all. You know, and and I hate to do this, but I really got to go. I have an appointment. I have to go to the doctor. And, um, you know, thanks again for contacting me. That was all very sweet of you. But, you know, I I just wish I could be more help, but I just got nothing. So, you
0: know,
1: you have a good life, okay? Bye-bye.
0: Okay, bye empty empty we came all that way through hell and high water conspiracies and all to find nothing the denise on the phone with me during that call was nothing like the denise on the phone with me the first time the first denise was happy excited and eager to be part of the podcast and help The second Denise, weeks later, was low, somber and even a bit grumpy and seemed like she wanted nothing to do with the podcast. So maybe she was lying to me in the last call. Maybe she did see something and maybe there was something in that safety deposit box. It's hard to believe John kept a safety deposit box in his name and have nothing in it. Who would do that? So maybe she saw something, something very damning, and like John, she is covering it up too. Or maybe she, like John, was told to cover it up. Or maybe she lied to me on the first call. Maybe she feigned interest in the show in order to talk to me and get on the podcast. And maybe when they came to his house, they really did discover nothing. Maybe the disappointment was genuine and she wasn't able to talk for long. What if someone else had gotten to that safety deposit box first and emptied it? Maybe, 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 maybe all of this was far-fetched thinking. Maybe you the listener should feel robbed, duped, conned by this whole podcast that ultimately went nowhere. If you've listened this long it was because something has drawn you into the story enough to see it through. But if you're waiting for a big reveal, a big lead, I hate to disappoint, but it won't be coming. John's story ends here, with nothing. And trust me, whatever disappointment you're feeling, I feel tenfold. Thousands of you from across the globe have tuned in to hear me tell you about this incredible journey. And I've relished your attention. I've racked my brain on how to end this. I wish I had another good cliffhanger to lead you on to more, but I'm afraid there is no more. Instead of a cliffhanger, I feel I'm in freefall. What was all this for? I claim to have started a podcast to learn about my family, but we both know that didn't happen. I know little more about my family than I did at the start. In Season 1, I wanted to communicate deeper issues of being misunderstood, being forgotten, and being rejected. But deep down, I wanted the story to continue and deliver another season of thought-provoking material. Now, at the end of Season 2, I have an empty box. So, what was all this for? Upon review of our interviews, I'll play something from Season 1 that John said to me at the cemetery, and perhaps it will give us something to part with. Listen closely. Your wife is buried. Is she buried out here? Yeah. Is your wife's still Yep. Right over there. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, she uh, she fought her own war. I mean, cancer. Oh yeah. <laughs> Took her away too young. It's rough. Yeah. What was, what was different about your wife. <laughs> than everybody else. Oh wow. Well. She was, she was really the first person I. I was able to really talk to, really be honest with. And uh, and, so you, and she yeah. got you. Yeah. yeah. And it was your grandpa who sold me the ring that I, I gave to her. Really? Yeah. Dixon? Dixon. Dixon, boy. Yeah. No yep. way. Yep. Wow. Tell you what, Kyle, you, you, you kind of remind me of him. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Is that a good thing? <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing. It's good. John's wife was the only person he said he could really talk to, who really listened. And that was all John needed to spend a lifetime with her. Someone who listened to him, crazy conspiracies, painful war memories, and all the things that made John who John was. There was a review of this podcast that I couldn't get out of my head. A listener called me entertainingly pretentious. Pretentious. I hated that critique. But maybe it was because they were right. At some point in the making of this show, I became more interested in becoming well known for this story and for my social forward views of the world. It became an exercise in my ego instead of a story to tell. But John's words echoed in the wake of an anticlimactic ending. Despite his remarkable story, he just wanted to spend his life with someone who listened. That to listen is to love, and to be listened to is to feel love. And if I think of the people I talked to during this podcast, the interviews I've listened to over and over again, I think I've fallen in love with them all in their own ways. My dad who carried on a legacy in our family after tragedy, my uncle who told me stories and ideas I've never heard before a UFO expert who spent a lifetime being ridiculed or overlooked despite his groundbreaking contributions to the field, my friends who have supported me and so many others in our little desert island in New Mexico. I think I fell in love with my city, a forgotten, misunderstood city filled with broken people who aren't afraid to roll up their sleeves and help each other out. After all, we're all in this forgotten city together, why not make the most of it? So I got an empty box and a story that came back to the start, of nowhere. But in the journey, I developed relationships and a love for the people living right next to me. Perhaps you feel cheated in the ending. For me, this was the first time I really got to listen to the story of my community and some of the people who make it up. I'm grateful I'll walk away from this with a little love for the town I once found unlovable. I hope in some small way, The same can be said for you. I'm going to be listening for a while, and I would love to listen to you. Send me your stories, your thoughts, your ideas, because you, the listener, are wonderful, valuable people living amongst a world of valuable citizens whose stories are worth listening to. And perhaps along the way, we might just have the opportunity to share another story as remarkable as John's. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please be sure to share this story with anyone you think might enjoy my journey with John. You can support this podcast and everyone who has worked on it by visiting crashedinroswell.com and checking out our store with all original Crashed in Roswell gear, t-shirts, mugs, you name it. I also want to thank my friends Ryan Bishop in production Brian Hunley, who wrote our theme song, and a special thanks to Boyd Barrett, whose influence on me and this podcast has been nothing short of profound. Thank you. If you'd like to know more about new projects I'm working on and new things coming down the pike, you can visit my website, kylerbullock.com. You'll check out more information there about new books and new podcasts that I've got planned in the coming weeks and months ahead. That's Kyle R.